This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the quarantined ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to another masked episode of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. It's episode number 584. I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. And my name is Matt Baum, the other head that you love to hate. This week, we're reviewing eight comics from Wednesday, August 5th. And after that, it's up to the teach and Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally, the Umbrella Academy season two premiered on Netflix, so it's time for another edition of Nerd TV. Spoiler free. I don't say it so like don't, Matt likes Don't panic. Likes we'll, me to say it. we'll do it spoiler free. Yeah, spoiler free. Yeah. It's brand new. So bust out your pile of funny books, nerds, because it's review time in the ziggurat. This week, a beloved vampire LARP got the comic treatment. Phantom X made his triumphant return. And William Shakespeare returned to Vertigo. Pardon me, I mean the Sandmanaverse. But before we get started, the THN bar manager has a 1960s-themed cocktail in honor of the Time Traveling Umbrella Academy's Time Traveling Tales we'll talk about later to help you wash down your weekly reading. Justin, what are we drinking this week? All right, nerds. So this week we are talking the Umbrella Academy. This drink is going to be in honor of Pogo. This is a variation of uh, a cocktail called a monkey gland, but it's also kind of building on what we learned last week with a French 75. Um, I guess you could call this kind of a take on that, um, but you're just adding some, some extras in that, that we didn't see last week. So uh, first thing you're gonna need is an ounce and a half of London Draw Style Gin, an ounce and one half of orange juice, a quarter ounce of lemon juice, a quarter ounce of grenadine. All that's gonna go into a shaker and get shaken super hard until it's super, super cold. You're gonna go into either a coupe or a goblet-styled stemware glass. This is gonna be served up. Um, before you put that into the glass, so you need to do an absinthe rinse. So you can either throw some absinthe in the glass, really, really rinse it around the inside of the glass and then pour off the excess. Or you could, you know, if you want to be fancy, put it in an atomizer and you could spray it inside the glass. Either way, after you get the absinthe in, pour off the excess, um, pour in the contents of your shaker, do a lemon expression, and there you have it, a monkey gland, a super, super yummy uh, French 75 variation. I guess, I guess it's really not in a sense because you're not adding any bubbles, but but in the sense that uh, maybe maybe we'll just call this, instead of a French 75 variation, we'll call it more of a, uh, a screwdriver variation, because that's kind of what it is. But either which way, however you want to look at it, give it a whirl, it's really yummy. Enjoy. Joey, why don't you get us started? My first review of the week goes to Transformers, My Little Pony, colon, Friendship in Disguise, number one from IDW. It's only right we do this one first. I mean, come Of on. course, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> start us off right. Uh, IDW is shameless when it comes to throwing their licensed properties together for a cash grab. But I'll be damned if this isn't charming. 
A glitch in the space bridge shunts a group of Autobots and Decepticons to the colorful world of Equestria, where things go as about off the rails as you'd expect. Uh, the script by James Asmus and Ian Flynn strikes a nice balance between sincere and tongue-in-cheek. It knows exactly what type of story they're telling. The art by Tony Fleeks and Jack Lawrence melds the styles of two totally different worlds together surprisingly well. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that this is a must-read issue for fans of either property, but I will say that Transformers My Little Pony worked a whole lot better than I thought it would, and it was surprisingly enjoyable. And I'll tell you what, I've always been a sucker for the Space Bridge. I love that dumb thing, (laughs) that dumb concept from the cartoon. It was awesome. (laughs) Uh, I'm giving this a strong skim it because I I had fun. I'm not afraid of this. I'm giving it a buy it because... I'm a man and I can admit it. <laughs> I don't know why Joe <laughs> like, Patrick not, just gushed look, about it and gave it a skim it. I don't get that at all. I think because I'm not going to sit here and say that diehard Transformers fans are going to definitely want to read it. I'm not going to say that either. I will say that the creative team did a good job with an extremely challenging idea. And I don't want to hear any bitching from anybody because IDW has 15 Transformers books that are as serious as cancer running right now. So if you don't want to read this, you don't have to. No complaining from you guys. I I thought this was a ton of fun. I thought it was charming. I can't believe they pulled it off. I'm giving it a buy it. You heard it here first. There you go. That bomb is a secret brony. Hey man, this is like a stunt. This is like jumping a motorcycle over... I don't know, uh, a bunch of Clydesdales to keep the horse metaphor running or something like It's hard to pull <laughs> off. Or maybe it's like jumping a Clydesdale over a bunch of motorcycles. You know, it's even harder. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yes. My first review goes to the Dreaming Waking Hours Part 1 from DC Sandman Universe. I guess that's what it's called. This was written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Nick Robles. The story follows a young single mother trying to make her way in academia under the tutelage of an older female professor with no remorse for the young, exhausted mother who's been researching theories on whether Shakespeare worked alone. As it turns out, one of the Dreaming's nightmares accidentally swaps places with her, leaving her waking in Stratford-upon-Avon in the home of the bard himself while the escaped nightmare is left in charge of her baby. Robles' art breathes life into Wilson's realistic and whimsical story, making it feel like pure magic. Reading this made me want to go back and revisit my Vertigo Dreaming run. I I love this issue. And Wilson does a wonderful job fleshing out a main character, living out her literary fantasy while leaving her child behind, which I'm sure she's going to notice real quick here. I think she just thinks she's dreaming. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, man, I love the dreaming. I, 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 I love the world of Sandman. And I love the side characters of the dreaming. Uh, I, I love uh, a lot of what they've done. Not everything. A lot of what they've done since they brought this back, I've found very enjoyable. And G. Willow Wilson is doing a great job kind of carrying that torch. This is a buy it from me as well. I think it's really difficult to, I think a lot of writers want to just go, okay, well, what would Neil Gaiman do? And they try and put yeah. themselves in that position. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I feel like Wilson did enough to make it hers, but still keep that fe- that whimsical, ridiculous feeling of the dreaming. That's just so charming. I thought she killed this. She yeah, nailed. and that was that was always like the best part of the dreaming uh, is that 
it didn't always feel like Sandman. It didn't have yeah. to feel like yeah. Sandman. That wasn't the point. In fact, most times they were making fun of the Sandman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Next up for me is Dark Knights Death Metal colon Legends of the Dark Knights. <laughs> Indeed. It's a one shot with the same word spelled two different ways <laughs> from DC Comics. That's where it gets clever, though. Don't you? You didn't yeah, get, yeah, you're you right, didn't clever, get it, right? I guess. <laughs> Uh, this one shot doubles down on both the over-the-top silliness of the ideas Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo are presenting in Death Metal and the overwhelming darkness for darkness's sake that I hate about the current direction of the DCU. The dark darkness. The dark, the darky dark. Yeah, the darky dark. The majority of the stories in this issue walk the line between completely ridiculous and completely exhausting, especially anything to do with Dr. Manhattan, the Batman who laughs, both put together... The all-new Robin King. It's a shame. It's a shame because the talent on display here is impressive. You've got Riley Rosmo, Pete Tomasi, Francesco Francovia, Daniel Warren Johnson, etc. But this issue is almost completely joyless. Except the short story at the very end by Garth Ennis and Joel Jones. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. Yes. I was afraid uh, you were going to say, version- except the Batman Asaurus Rex story. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was stupid. That was dumb as uh, hell. The short story by Garth Ennis and Joel Jones is about a version of Batman who tried to clone himself but fucked it up and got stuck as a baby. <laughs> that shit was hilarious. I, I laughed the whole way through it. Uh, I'm giving Legends of the Dark Knights a skim it because I feel like there must be someone that's loving this and the talent involved is tremendous, but it just, it's just, it's just not for me. Yeah. I I, I mean, you know what this feels like? This feels like when we got to the point with green lantern, where we were so tired of the different color wars and they just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And it it just got to a point where it was meaningless. It didn't matter anymore. It did. I, I didn't care. And I feel like that's where we're at. I feel like this started very well. Like, we liked Dark Knight's Metal. It was fun. Right. Death Metal just feels unnecessary. It feels stretched out. It feels like they took the idea and barely even thought it out anymore. I went, I don't know. Let's just make it more evil. Let's just make it crazier. It's like the creators were at the retreat at DC and they said, oh, you thought that was crazy. You ain't seen nothing yet. Right. But there's no actual substance. Yeah, it, 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 there's no feeling. I, I liked some of this. I thought they did a pretty good job. The Snyder story did a good job laying it all out. I don't care for what's happening, but he's thought about it, and it obviously makes sense in their dumb little world. I actually liked the Frank Thierry story that was penciled by Frank Avia. It was beautiful to look at. Not a great story. The I, one where Batman turns into a castle. Yeah, that was something. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but it wasn't bad. It was interesting. At least it's like they're trying. They're having a lot of fun with this. I just don't care. I'm giving it a skim it as well. Yeah, it's just it's it's hard to feel anything other than the notion that like when it's all over, none of it will matter. That's just it. It feels like it has no soul. Like there's no soul. There's nothing that's going to like really happen in this world because it can't. This isn't the kind of thing that can affect Bruce Wayne for the rest of his life because Bruce Wayne would just be ruined. After this, I I don't care how badass he is. I know that he has like beaten Darkseid before. This would ruin him. 
And he would have to look at something like this and say, okay, well, I guess the only thing I can do is kill myself because I'm such a dangerous to the multiverse. Yeah, exactly. My next review is of Bad Mother, number one from AWA. It's written by Krista Faust, who is a mystery writer, writes novels, with art by Mike Diodato Jr., who... Joe assured me is the same person as Mike Diodato, and I just have not been paying attention to his career for the last 20 years. Yep, Go that's figure. accurate. 100% accurate. April is our main character. She's a suburban housewife whose inner fire has been snuffed out by her dreary suburban existence. Or so the solicit says. April stumbles into a shooting at a local grocery store, and then after the, her daughter comes home with a black eye, April goes to confront the daughter's boyfriend, only to find two corpses! All this while her husband is out of the country and un unable to take cell phone calls, which, you know, that means he's porking somebody because you can make cell phone calls out of the country. <laughs> Come on. I There were some things I liked about this. The, the issue sets up a compelling mystery. Diodato does a nice job of drawing a realistic woman for a change. There is some kind of in-your-face commentary on how women are unfairly judged by their looks. But there wasn't a whole lot more to pull me into April's story. I get it. It's 24 page intro setting up the story. I just need a little more. And Diodato's art didn't help a whole lot. I haven't loved that whole thing he does with like the geometric panels that are sort of oh, see, sliding I love, I around. I love his layouts. I love the way he designs a page. I kind of, I just, maybe I'm over but it. But there's also something about his art that's very <sighs> clinical. And almost exhausting sometimes. I, mean, yeah. I don't know. I think when you ask him to do more down-to-earth suburban mystery like this, his art gets a little extra, if you will. You know? Almost a little too much. And I just don't love that weird square paneling thing that's supposed to build tension. I'm giving this a skim it. I feel like everything we've read from AWA is a very safe skim it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, like, I, I don't want to take anything away from Krista Faust. I've never read anything else by her. Um, but this, to me, it was kind of reminiscent of, uh, not reminiscent, but it gave me the same sort of feeling as, like, one of those weird minis that Garth Ennis just tossed out for cash from Dynamite or whatever, you know, that nobody ever talked about again. Right. That or novelist writing comics for the first time. Yeah, I, it's just, it, it didn't grab me. Um, you know, I agree that Diodato, Diodato Jr., uh, his art is is kind of hit and miss, though I do like it more often than not. There just wasn't a whole lot here that resonated with me. I'm giving it a skim it. Joe Patrick, next up is the comic that Matt Baum absolutely screamed for. I demanded it. Giant Size X-Men, Phantomax, number one. Phantom X. <laughs> yes, this issue gives us a crash course on the history of Phantom X and his birthplace, the mysterious, the world. Uh, and it also flies in the face of everything we know about the character so far. Apparently, he's been around since World War II, fighting alongside Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. No, no. The world sits outside of time. Uh, the world exists outside of time, but we also know that Phantom X was not created until well after Wolverine was created. I agree, but I think he can come and go from the world and it messes with. Things. I don't think that it is. I don't think that it's a time travel situation. I just think that when you go into the world, time passes differently. See, I don't know. I which feel is like why 
in the world, the, char- the the character he goes to keep meeting is like a thousand years evolved from him. Right. I feel like it's the castle from Kroll, but it's like appears in time in different places, possibly. That is not how I read it, but I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, writer Jonathan Hickman delivers a script that seems more concerned with how cool Phantom X is, and he is, than it is with moving forward the narrative that he started in the very first giant size one shot. In fact, it's such an afterthought that Matt Baum texted me to ask if he missed something. And I had to think back and go, nope, you didn't. It was there. <laughs> They're just not really bothering with it. Don't get me wrong. This is a fun read. The art by Rod Rice is tremendous. Uh, but these one shots are supposed to be leading somewhere. And I'm not sure they're doing their job. Uh, so I'm giving Giant Size X-Men Phantom X a skimmit. Yeah, like I really liked it. And I was on board. I had some questions, but I just assumed I missed something. And then it ended. <laughs> it just stopped. Right. <laughs> and I was it, like, and it ends on a cliffhanger. Huh? You know, so, it, and then I looked yeah. and it's like coming up next X Men Empire number two, X Men Empire. But like, no giant size Phantom X number two anywhere. And they really, I mean, unless they're going to introduce this into the regular X title as something well, that's the happening. Next, the, the the giant size X Men one shots are cont- are supposedly following each other, so it doesn't go from here back into the main line. It goes from here to the next giant size one shot. So you the next me, giant size one shot is Storm, and you're telling me that one is going to deal directly with what's going on with Phantom X and his twin. Well, I don't know, but that's how it ends. Fair enough. It certainly does not show it in the back of the book as coming anytime soon. (laughs) Uh, Well, not in August. That's what you get for not deciphering the page of Krakoan text. (laughs) I guess so. Which I did. (laughs) I mean, I had a lot of fun with that and it was really pretty to look at, but at the same time, I agree. I think I can only give this a skim it because had I just picked this up, like maybe I'm a Phantom X fan and I'm like, Oh cool. They brought him back. I'd be like, what the fuck is this? Where does this go? Where did this come from? Why right. is that happening? You know, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and yeah, I feel like if this, if this just, if these were just one shots about the characters that maybe put the characters in a new place or, you know, set them up in a new direction, that right. would be fine. Like that was kind of my complaint with the Nightcrawler one. Like Nightcrawler was in it. Nightcrawler obviously led that team, but it really didn't do anything for the character. And it kind of just dropped some ideas on you. And then the book ended. Right. I don't get it. So ostensibly all of these one shots are technically supposed to be about something else. And that something else is barely part of the book. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to think of it. I'm skim it for me. That's the best I can do. It's now the moment you've all been waiting for. Matt Baum's review of Vampire the Masquerade. <laughs> this is, in fact, Vampire the Masquerade. Number one, from Vault. It's written by Tim Seeley with art by Dev Malia Premenik. And there's a second story by Teeny and Blake Howard, who are married with art by Nathan Gooden. Not Did Siamese. Confirm that? Yes, not Siamese twins like we thought. We get two stories here. They're both set in the Minneapolis St. Paul area. And it's Hot a very bed of vampire activity. It sounds like everywhere kind of is, judging by the story. 
And I gotta say, this was very well researched. This felt like Minneapolis St. Paul. They make some mentions of some beloved punk bands like the Suicide Commandos who were around a while back. They talk a lot about the local scene. They talk a lot about the local neighborhoods. Seely and the Howards tell two different stories about two different women living in and around the vampire cult that is running the Twin Cities. One thing I really liked about this is they make being a vampire look like a total pain in the ass. It's not <laughs> a sexy, you know, like we're all dressed like Tom Cruise in Interview with the Vampire and speaking like being all sexy and like, no, you got to go find blood and it sucks. And like, if you're not willing to kill somebody, then guess what? Your job is even harder. <laughs> so I admit I knew very little about the history and fiction behind this world and just blame the super lame LARPers that I met that played the game. With that said, I thought this was excellent. I thoroughly enjoyed both stories. I love the idea of vampires living the same kind of problems that we deal with on a daily basis, only they need blood, not drugs, not money. They need blood. And that is a whole different ball game rooted in clans that have been around for thousands of years. There was great art by both artists here too. They give the book a very Mark Buckingham feel. And I got to say, eat your heart out, David Robbins. I love this. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah. I mean, knock me over with a feather. I really liked it. I, I, I don't know. Like I literally know nothing about Vampire the Masquerade. I didn't either. Other than the fact that it is a game. Right. Other than what David Robbins told us like two weeks ago on cover sure. to cover. I knew nothing. Uh, but yeah, this was very enjoyable. Uh, the creators, you know, I, I liked all of the creators involved. I thought the art was great. It's a buy it. Yeah. It's a buy it for me. I Like, I can't say for sure that I'll, I'll make an effort to keep up with it. Uh, but as far as a first exposure goes, well done. I'm going to read more of this. I really liked it. It's one of the first vampire stories I read in a long time that kind of spoke to me and I dug it because it was just a different take on vampires and it, a really simple one. Hey, they're just like you and me. You pervert. <laughs> My final review for this week goes to horizon zero dawn. Number one from Titan comics. If you're like me and never finished the amazing PS4 game upon which this comic is based, maybe give this one a pass because it has, <laughs> Huge spoilers for the ending. <laughs> Even if that weren't a problem, writer Anne Tool really didn't do enough to get readers new to the concept invested in this world. There's just a big info dump at the beginning. There's like a weird, like, trading card stat thing about one of the robots that seemed out of place. And they just expect you to follow along. Uh, and Molina's art also didn't really do anything for me either. And it can't really hold a candle to the lush and beautiful world presented by the actual game. I love Horizon Zero Dawn, even though I've only scratched the surface of the game. But this comic adaptation fails to do it justice. I'm giving it a leave it. I don't know anything about the game. Uh, haven't played it. But I will say this comic didn't make me want to play it either. <laughs> That's like, Yeah, I think it actually I think it might actually do a disservice. That is the nicest thing I can say about this comic because I didn't care. Um, and I feel like that's not necessarily the creative team's fault. I feel like that is the problem with a lot of video game adaptations 
where they have to flesh out a world, they have to explain it, and people that have played the game are like, I already know this shit, I don't care, and people that haven't played the game are like, this is too much shit, and I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, but if it's not the creative team's fault, then whose is it? I'm not saying it's their fault. I think this is just a... Maybe it is, and maybe it can be done well. It's just there aren't a lot of video game adaptations that make it to comics that I have ever cared about, quite honestly, because of the amount of setup they have to do to let you know that this is definitely a video game adaptation, and and they want to talk to you, video game guy that played it, and we gently want to encourage you, Matt Bomb, who hasn't played it, to maybe check it out and play it, but we're going to tell you too much. <laughs> and you're gonna go. That right. game sounds exhausting. I am and not into so, it. And, so that's it just where didn't I'm work. At. I'm like, I, I thought that like if the art was better, okay, maybe it might draw somebody in. Um, I mean, the art wasn't great. I'll, I'll definitely, I definitely agree with that statement. And I will also agree that the majority of the video game adaptations that I have enjoyed, like, um. Uh, you know, some of Dark Horse's Mass Effect comics or yeah. uh, we we really kind of dug those Assassin's Creed comics. It's true. And one thing they did was- But we just, already knew about those games. We did, but I would also argue they were a little more decompressed and just sort of dropped the world on you and let you just get into it and read about it. Because there's already interesting stories there. Maybe that's the fault of the game. Maybe there isn't a real interesting story that you could just drop someone into and they need to play the game to know it. I did not care about this. I didn't think the art was great. I thought the info dumps were too much. And honestly, by the time I got there, I was like, nope, not even interested. I don't care. <laughs> and just passed on it. So yeah, leave it. My final review goes to Alien, the original screenplay, number one from Dark Horse. The original script here was written by Dan O'Bannon. The adaptation is written by Cristiano Sejas? Sexas. Sexas? I'm not sure. Sexas. Sexas. With art by Guillerme Balbi. Before Dark Horse loses the Alien franchise to Marvel, they're telling the story as scriptwriter Dan O'Bannon envisioned it. Now, this is before those busybodies Mobius and H.R. Geiger showed up. <laughs> those assholes. There's definitely some differences here, but nothing major other than some design stuff. We don't see the alien yet in the first issue, but I'm guessing it's going to look very different based on the design of the navigator alien that they yeah, find in the ship. Sure. Now, while this wasn't drastically different from the movie outside of some names, like there definitely wasn't a Ripley here, and the makeup of the crew, I thoroughly enjoyed this story. Balbi's art was tight, pitch perfect, and really created the eerie space horror feeling that I love about the movie. I, I honestly hope that Marvel can tell alien stories this good and they don't just keep spoon feeding us aliens versus Wolverine because you know we're going to get four oh, chapters you know it'll of be that. Alien, it'll be alien versus Conan and uh, shit like that. Oh, absolutely. I'm giving this a huge buy it. It, it. it was just fun. It doesn't feel like a direct retelling or the movie made in the movie adaptation yeah. it's interesting and goddamn, balby's art was beautiful i totally agree i like it was interesting interesting is the best word to describe it because you know everybody knows the story of alien sure uh and so this was familiar while also feeling new yes definitely and i really enjoyed it for that reason i thought the art was great um, I even liked the, you know, the, the stylistic differences. Like you can look at this and go, Oh, I think this might be alien. Right. You know, if you look at it with no script. Right. 
Uh, but it's it, it's so it's like you can see where you can see how what O'Bannon wrote how it evolved into what we got. Definitely, and maybe this is too meta, but there was a part of me that read it and it was like, ah, oh, shit, man, this is like a great way to restart everything and not let Ridley Scott get his dirty little hands all over the story <laughs> and end up making fucking Prometheus, which was terrible. And I will no, not hear an argument. Otherwise Prometheus not, that's was not what terrible, is leading to. terrible. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm giving this a buy it, and I just hope that, like, in the next issue, they don't shit the bed with the al- with an alien design that looks completely different, that looks completely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious. You know, it, I, I'm curious to it, see like, what they do with it because it's got to be different, right? It has to be. It, it, it will definitely be different, but it at least it at least has to be cool. Well, sure. I don't think ET is going to show up and kill them. Yeah, anything, it's. But. I'm just. You know, we'll see. We'll see what they give us. But uh, yeah, I'm giving this a buy. It. I, it was a very pleasant surprise. By the way, the original name for the movie from the O'Bannon script, Star Beast. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> I know, rad. I don't know who it is sold as well, but it sounds like a kick-ass like B movie that they made at the same time as Alien. They were like, oh shit. <laughs> These guys have this huge script. You know, Sigourney Weaver's in it and Ridley Scott's directing it. We gotta do something similar. Like, I got something. It's called Star Beast. Like, I love it. Yeah, it's it's the, a the, triceratops the tra- that terrorizes people in space. <laughs> you know? The the transmorphers of uh totally. of the alien universe. <laughs> yes. Scathoop. That is it for your new comic reviews this week and Scathoop is the sound of the Kotati firing energy cannonballs at the Earth from a cannon shaped like a giant plant mouth? Yeah, sort of like Seymour from uh, guess, Little Shop of yeah. Horrors. If yeah, Seymour Audrey fired too. shit out of his <laughs> mouth. You no, know? Seymour was the man. Oh, you're right. Audrey, Audrey. Was the Pardon man. me. Audrey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by the THN consigliere Ryan Forrest via Twitter, who did not appreciate our online review of uh, Legends of the Dark Knight. I, I think he agreed with us. I think he's just like, why do you keep reading this? Uh, no, I don't know. That's not how I... That's <laughs> I not think how he I agreed with <laughs> If you want to submit your own onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Better yet, call us, make the noise, tell us where it came from, and we will play it on the show. That is very important. Let us know where it came from. Okay, it's part of the rules. That is it for reviews, and now it's time for some breathing exercises. We're in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. That will help us focus our shared chi and make our must-read picks for next week, Wednesday, August 12th. Joey, let's see your kundalini breath of fire technique and tell these nerds about your pick. My pick for next week goes to Seven Secrets, number one from Boom Studios. It's written by Tom Taylor with art by Danielle DiNicuolo. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and there isn't an evil or zombie version of a DC character in sight. Mm, As far as we know. As far as we know. (laughs) Here's your solicit. For fans of Once and Future and Undiscovered Country comes an all-new original series from number one New York Times bestselling author Tom Taylor. An artist, Danielle DiNicuolo, uh, you might recognize her from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Oh, no kidding. About seven powerful secrets, words, wonders, and weapons, and worse, with the power to change the world. 
For centuries, the Order has trusted in keepers and holders to guard the secrets in seven briefcases against all harm. But when their stronghold is attacked and the secrets put in peril, the entire Order must face their greatest fear, an enemy who knows too much and is willing to kill to get what he wants. The mighty Morphin Power Order has to show up. (laughs) That's right. Now the Order's newest member, Casper, must discover the truth of the secrets before the enemy does or risk losing everything. Sounds fun. Tom Taylor. I like Tom Taylor a whole lot. He's super excited about this, and he's been all over Twitter, like, screaming. That just, like, it's going to be great. You guys are going to love it. Oh, my God. He's so excited. It's adorable. I'm confident that I am going to love it. At least I'm hopeful. I love Tom Taylor. I think he's great at this shit. My pick for next week is Big Girls, number one. From I knew Image. it would be. I knew it would be. Has to be. It's written and drawn by Jason Howard. I love that dude. 32 pages for $3.99. Now, this is Jason Howard becoming a writer as well. He's going for the double threat. So we'll see. All right. Here's your solicit. When men become giant monsters hell-bent on destroying the world, only girls can stop them. Big girls! Meet Ember. She writes poetry, loves to read, and she's a 300-foot-tall, full-time monster killer! She and the other big girls are all that stand in the way of our world's complete annihilation! I'm not going to tell you who wrote it again, because I just mentioned that. This just sounds ridiculous and fun. And I'm kind of curious to see what Jason Howard can do when he's not doing trees, because trees is like a very serious, extremely slow, excellent book. I, regardless of what we think about Warren Ellis right now, it's a very well sure. written book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I hope that for his sake, he can crawl out from under that shadow and do something on his own that we enjoy. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Uh, I love this. Uh, uh, description that calls it a cross between John Wick, Godzilla, by way of HBO's Girls. Yeah. <laughs> Which my Which wife, are three things that do not go together in any way. I whatsoever. love John Wick, love Godzilla, and I watched my wife hate watch Girls. I didn't even really watch Girls. I just watched her watch it. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And she watched it all. It was not easy. Man, it was like watching her do crunches. She was just like, ugh. <laughs> Except she didn't feel good at the end. No, no. The THN trade of the week goes to Loneliness of a Long Distance Cartoonist. It's a hardcover from Drawn and Quarterly, written and drawn by Adrian Tomine. Uh, you might recognize his name from uh, what's it called? Optic Nerve? Yes, Optic Nerve. So get ready to cry. I think it's Optic Nerve, right? <laughs> yes. It's 168 pages for $29.99. What a steal. It is a hardcover. Here's your solicit. What happens when a childhood hobby grows into a lifelong career? The loneliness of the long-distance cartoonist, Adrian Tomine's funniest and most revealing foray into autobiography, offers an array of unexpected answers. When a sudden medical incident lands Tomine in the emergency room, he begins to question if it was really all worthwhile. Despite the accolades and opportunities of a seemingly charmed career, it's the gaffes, humiliations, slights, and insults he's experienced or caused within the industry that loom largest in his memory. While Tominate minds his conflicted relationship with comics and comics culture, a richer emotional story emerges as his memories are delineated in excruciatingly hilarious detail. The buzz behind this book is enormous. Enormous. For good reason. People can't stop talking about it. Because Tominate is I'm, one of those guys that puts out a book 
and they just throw Eisner's at it. The guy is amazing. If you haven't read his stuff, Killing and Dying is wonderful. Uh, Summer Blonde. Summer Blonde is incredible. 32 Stories, which is a bunch of like collection of stories from Optic Nerve. Oh my God. Wildly talented and like not afraid to put some really uncomfortable shit on the page. Really good at it. Pick this up. He's also the sort of name that's celebrated outside of comics yes. so that whenever he puts out something new, it's news. You know what I mean? It's like a big deal. It makes waves. Yeah. He's one of those talented fuckers that doesn't just make an evil version of Batman and go, oh, check this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> Be sure to hit up your local comic shop and add these comics to your list so you can read along at home and let us know what you're reading as well over at our Facebook page where every Wednesday you can find your official THN reading list. If you want to play along, I swear to God, you were trying to sabotage me. Sorry about that. With all of those fucking format changes just now. If you like, and you know what, if you go to our Patreon and you pay us enough, we'll even make beeping noises when it's time to turn the page while you read. It'll be awesome. When you hear this sound, it's time to turn the page. <laughs> 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 The Umbrella Academy is back for season two at Netflix. So it's time for another edition of Nerd TV. Spoiler free. We're not going to ruin anything. Spoiler free. Yes. Spoiler free. Because a lot of you haven't had a chance to watch this yet. And judging by a lot of people that I know, didn't watch season one. What is wrong Weirdos. with you? Totally. What is wrong with you? Uh, I was thrilled to have the Umbrella Academy back. I loved season one thoroughly loved it there were some little things about it that bothered me but i feel like they figured that out and this season just hit the ground running no problem here we go i loved season one even though i can't really remember much of anything about it other than uh like certain things that i enjoyed like hazel and cha-cha and i remember the cliffhanger ending right Season uh, one did a really but, good job of sticking very close to the first run of the comics. They they added some well, stuff. Well, I mean, no, it, it's 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 reminiscent of the comics, right. but it's not a direct adaptation. Very purposefully, yes. Um, so, like this one, for example, this season lifts a bunch of elements from uh, Umbrella Academy Volume Two, Dallas, right? Uh, which, if you watch the show or have even looked at the comic, you'll know why it's called that for obvious reasons. Uh, the Umbrella Academy. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say this because it's the setup for the first episode. Uh, the Umbrella Academy are scattered throughout a three-year period of time in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, I think that's fine because we see that in the first five minutes of the show. So Yeah, from 1960 to 1963, so four years, right? Right. And, uh, you know, they very slowly, you know, find each other. And they're all in very different places when they finally reunite. Uh, and I just thought it was so well done how they told the stories of what happened to all these characters after they landed. Totally. Absolutely. If I have some complaints about season one, it's that they didn't flesh out certain characters. Um, Emmy Raver Lamp Lampman, who plays Allison, for example, like she had a cute sort of like love affair thing with Tom Hooper's character who plays Luther or the guy with the ape body. And they had a really cheesy dance scene and shit like that. 
but we didn't learn much about her. And in here, like we get, we get to see her, like she just went and lived a life. She gets a huge arc. Yeah. She has a massive arc and she's fantastic. And the story that it, like they're all gently living in the sixties and doing things that are affecting a larger part of the story and brings them together. And her arc is fantastic. And she's like a major part of what they're moving towards and doesn't realize it. She just thinks, well, I'm stuck here. I'm going to do the right thing because I'm a good person. Now, am I, did you finish? No, I'm six episodes in. Oh, I finished. I have not finished yet. So I guess you can tell me based on what you've seen so far, but uh, is it just me or did this feel a little bit more? I mean, despite the fact that they're time tossed, uh, it, it felt a little bit more linear to me, uh, easier to follow, maybe. Well, I think at first, at first, it's pretty hectic and doesn't seem like it makes any sense at all, just like the Umbrella Academy comic, but gently weaves those stories together to a point where you get to the point when you see, OK, this is what's happening. I totally get it. And it's pointed out by Klaus basically, who is like the biggest idiot in the family, who's just like, uh, I don't know why you guys can't see this, but we're all here to do this thing. You know? Sure. <laughs> Quite obviously. And in that moment, you are very much like Klaus, who is just sort of stumbling through the show and having a good time when all of a sudden you go, oh, yeah, like that totally makes sense. And it all came together so well to for, like bring the plot together and bring all the characters back together, especially in light of like what happened with Ellen Page's character, Vanya in the, in the final, you know, two episodes of the first season where she basically mm-hmm. destroys the world. <laughs> and, right. And you have yeah, it, Aiden yeah, Gallagher's I, character. Number five is like, look, the apocalypse followed us. And they're all like, it's, it's Vanya, isn't it? She did it again. And they're like, no, no, actually it's something different this time. <laughs> Uh, I won't spoil anything uh, because I know you're not done and and we also promise no spoilers, but I really like Vanya's arc in this. I thought that they make a point of pointing out, you know, and, uh, and of uh, they make a point of the family kind of copping to the fact that they were just totally shitty to her. Well, and that was the thing. For her whole life. Like one of the things that Casey hated about the first season, she was just like, I can't stand Ellen Page character. All she does is cry and whine. You know, and and they really made her like they victimized her and victimized her and victimized her. So you had that big payoff in the end. But this season, they've sort of turned that story on its head. And it's made me like her character a lot more. And it's also made her character seem a lot more interesting as opposed to just like, oh, she, you just don't have the powers the other children do. So go away or whatever, you know, like. That and I think Aiden Gallagher, number five, his character in this. That kid, holy cow. I did not love him in the first season. I thought he was good, but he got a little annoying at times. I don't know if it's because he's a little older and he just got better at acting, but he's Oh, I don't know. I loved him in season one. He's so good. I loved him in season one, and and he was hands down the star of this season for me as well. Oh, yeah. Um, He is the linchpin of this story, and- uh, just <laughs> the things that he goes through and like, okay. So the story of number five, uh, this is a spoiler from the comics and, like, and I guess from season one, 
uh, is that he is an old man stuck in the body of a child due to a time travel accident. Let's back up. He's 48. He's not that old. <laughs> no, he's 58. He's old. He's oh, like he, almost 60. Oh, I thought he was 48. He's 58. No, okay. no, he's old. He old. All right. And <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. I know that you're almost there. I didn't yeah, mean to like, like Jesus, dude, rub salt in the easy. wound. No, he's old. He's old. <laughs> he is a senior citizen. And, um, he is also a stone cold killer trapped in the body of a teenager. Right. And a young teenager too, like 14 or 15, maybe, maybe even 12, <laughs> I don't know, 12 or 13. Like, and he is a joy to watch. He's great. Yeah. It, everybody's performance in this, it was even better than the first season. There, there was so much stuff I liked about this and the little things they did where like in the beginning of one episode, we get, what is essentially a five minute origin story of Pogo that is so emotional uh, and moving and just l- wonderful. <laughs> I, I, I teared up. It was so good. And then they were just like, that's just the intro. Now here's the episode. It's like, Oh, you sons of bitches. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. great. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think, I think talking about it anymore is going to veer into spoiler territory, yeah, yeah. but I, I think they totally nailed it. You know, a lot of times a, a, a sophomore season, a show comes back for a second season and it's just not as good. You know, you got Daredevil season two. Totally. Um, it, it, and things just don't hold up as well as they did the first time through. I thought this was even better. Yeah. Than they season did, one. They didn't just rely on the fact that it, season one was a huge hit and did really well. They went, okay, what where were our missteps in season one what can we improve on and i honestly think they improved it and it's not at all a rehash either it's a totally different story no it's got a different feel to it the characters are all in wildly different places and it's just as wacky and bizarre i love the three swedish hitmen like (laughs) yeah they're so great (laughs) and they did an amazing job of giving equal time or at least it felt like equal time to all of the brothers and sisters yeah even the ones that maybe did not get complete arcs in the first season yeah they all have like a really interesting arc where they're living whether they've been there for a year or been there for three years you know in some cases they all have an extremely interesting arc klaus is wonderful in this. Oh yeah. I love his storyline. And I honestly found him a little annoying in the first season, but I feel like they, they dialed him back just enough and played on what he does. And his relationship with, uh, Ben Hargreaves, the ghost brother is right. Just great. It's so good. <laughs> I, this is some, this is a minor spoiler. I love how he kept telling them that he wasn't there. Yeah. They're like, they're like, did Ben come like, back? Nope. Ghost can't and time like, travel. Oh, sorry. sorry. He's not here. And Ben's like, seriously? <laughs> like you, you complete <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is an absolute watch it from me. If you haven't seen season one, please watch season one. Yeah. Uh, season two, even better. It ends on such a great, uh, like season one, it ends on such a great cliffhanger that I will be, devastated if it doesn't come back <laughs> yeah I, I don't think there's a problem there it's a it's a huge hit for them it's a total watch it for me go pick up these comics as well if you haven't read them the original stuff the uh by why can't i say his name gerard way the original comics by gerard way and gabriel ba are just wonderful reads 
They're wacky, bizarre. It, it is a group. I mean, you know the story. The show is reverent to the original comics, but doesn't stick completely close. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. No, it tells its own story. Yeah, and, and I'm loving it. Absolutely watch it. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THM 584. Next week, we are taking a look. It's in a book again because Tom Cioli's Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics has hit, and we need to read it, y'all. Go pick it up if you want to read along. It's going to be a wild ride. Joe Patrick, until then, give these nerds a new question of the week. This week's question was submitted by us. What is your favorite heel or face turn in comics? We're talking about heroes becoming villains and villains becoming heroes. Fun stuff. I love it. Now, uh, please, we are in need of question of the week suggestions. Uh, we, You guys have done a good job, but we do this every week, and so we have cycled through most of them. Hit us up on uh, the Facebook page, the forums, uh, email, Twitter, whatever. Uh, send me your ideas, because Cover to Cover is back every Saturday at 1030 live on our Facebook page, and it is the new home for our nerd news segment. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to 2 nerd at gmail.com. We will make you internet famous. That's not a promise. That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee, goddammit. Just like the Cajun chef, we guarantee. Okay. If, well, that's a 30-year-old reference. Good job. <laughs> that's right. Now, please do remember to keep it to less than two minutes. We need to share the air. We get lots of callers. We hate to cut you guys off, but we're not afraid to do it or specifically matt is not afraid to do it goddamn right because he is heartless i have my finger on the button if you're new to this show and you're normally a nice guy but you're thinking about taking a heel turn and punching us in the face rather than listening to any more i assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough the good news is you can hear the entire random thn in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com but hosting that many episodes it ain't cheap we want to thank donors like our man on the streets, Mr. Damon Chan, out there wandering around with his mask on, being responsible. He's still out there doing the work. He knows what's doing up. Doing the work. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Tess Fowler, who outed Ethan Van Skyver, the self-crowned king of the Comicsgate movement, movement, air quotes, and his cronies, who hosted a live feed where they made fun of her for being a cancer victim. Let that sink in for just a second and then try to tell us that Comicsgate is not a hate group. Word you, Tess, for outing these morons, for the hate mongers they are, and for just being an all-around badass because you know that while she's going through all of this, she's doing chemo, she's still drawing, she is a hero. Yeah, Tess, you're a badass. Word to you. Until next time, True Relievers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just put his big badass on your stack. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. That was graphic. Yeah. <laughs>